This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. We're in our series called Fight. Everyone say fight. Turn to your neighbor and say fight. Everyone kind of turn to your neighbor and give a growl. You know, it's that whole process of, of, of fight. It's time to fight. This aggressive behavior that, that God calls us to. When we think about this idea of fight, I don't know about you, but it kind of almost sounds, sounds a bit counterintuitive to Christianity. You know, that here we as Christians, we're supposed to be peaceful and kind and calm. Well, we're not fighting as we've been talking about. We've not, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against society. We're fighting against rulers and powers of the darkness of our, that our enemy is there. This idea of aggressiveness is this. Ready or likely to attack or to confront. And I ask you today, are you ready to confront the evil that we're facing? Are you ready to, to, to aggressively stand? Are you one that is quickly cowering? And I think that's as we've been looking at this series, we have to step back and go, God, am I, am, I, am I a fighter? Am I fighting? Am I being what you've called me to be? Am I standing in this aggressiveness um, that, that, we, that I'm supposed to take? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, our overarching passage of Scripture, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Everyone say that with me. Fight the good fight of faith. What I find curious about this is that Paul's saying this fight is a good fight. I don't know if you were raised in a home that um, your mom said, stop your bickering, stop your fighting. Paul's going, fight this good fight. Everyone get up and fight. Come on. Let's be aggressive. He's saying, fight this good fight of faith. Let's, let's take, take hold of this eternal life for which we were called even uh, when, you were made, when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Everyone say, many witnesses. Today, the angle of our message is going to come back to the many witnesses. The angle of, our, of this message is going to come back to the people that are present in your life, the people that are present on this planet, this, the, the people that you have made a statement of faith to. When we talk about biblical faith, we talk about this idea that faith is this assurance that what God has revealed and promised through his word is true. And I don't know about you, but there's times I can read the word of God, and here I'm a pastor, but there's times I can read the word of God and go, yeah, that's a nice thought. Has anybody ever thought that? That's a nice thought? I come back and go, no, I know, God, your word is true. But sometimes you ever go, God, will you do that for me? Can I tell you that this fight of faith is stepping into a place to go, no, God is this God, and God will do it for me, that God will function this way. We've made this overarching statement that either you are fighting or you are losing. Christianity is not passivity. Christianity is an aggressive, active lifestyle. And so that's the question that we want to be able to come back and to speak to our own lives today and find out where are we at. Today I want to, I have entitled my message, Links of Faith. Links of Faith. Everyone say links. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of links. First of all, sausage links comes to my mind. Uh, I'm a sausage patty guy, not a sausage link guy. So, uh, so I don't know. It, you know then, I, then I came to the place of going, missing link, the missing link. You know, and so we could stand up here and we could talk about uh, creationism versus evolution and the missing link. Today, what I want to say in links of faith is I want to challenge you, don't, please, don't be the missing link. In sincerity this morning, please, don't become the missing link when it comes to your faith. 
this concept of links. I think of links and I think of chains that are, 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 are uh, powerful and mighty. And in this p- next picture here, you're going to see uh, the Titanic. This is actual pictures of the Titanic chain uh, that is there. But the Titanic anchor weighed 30,000 pounds. Think about that, 30,000 pounds. The chain was 1,440 feet long. Each link was three feet in length. Uh, and it weighed, each link weighed 136 pounds. So when you think of this overarching weight of this chain, um, I have it here, 65,280 pounds. Can I tell you of the value and importance of every single one of these links? The, the links that, that, uh, that secured the boat, the ship, to the anchor. You know, when we think of the Titanic and we think of the destruction, it wasn't a res- uh, as a result of the anchor and the chain. We come back into our own lives today and we can go through the whole uh, idea of who are you anchored to? Who are you the link that is connected to the link that is connected to the link? And it's so important for us to comprehend and understand When we think about this idea of generations uh, being this link, of generations being this connection between uh, us and, and creation, this idea of who are we in this process of life. The greatest generation, when we look at this next seven generations, what's so unique about us in 2022 is that there are actually seven generations Sometimes some people say infer that there are eight. There are seven generations alive on this planet at this time. Never before in history have we had seven generations alive on the planet at one time. You think about that and you come back and go, wow, this is really amazing. We, we can look at these different generations. First of all, the greatest generation between 1901 and 1927 uh, we can see the silent generation in night, born in 1928 to 1945. We can see the baby boomer generation from 1946 to 1964. We can see the generation X born from 1965 to 1980. We can see the millennials 1981 to 1995. We can see generation Z, which is 1996 to 2010. And we have this brand new generation that is emerging that is generation alpha born in 20, 2011 and goes to whenever. We don't know yet. There's, we have to step back and evaluate. And I ask you, as you think of all these generations, I think many times we can look at this and we can, can, well, first of all, can everyone identify which generation you are? Do you see where you're placed in this chain of history, this link of history? Today, when we think about these generations, every generation on this list, every generation that will follow, every generation previous, every generation was a link to creation. A link all the way back to the garden, a link that we have to imagine in our lives have seen. Know this link, this chain that we are part of is called the chain of faith. And are you carrying on that link of faith? There is approximately 40 generations every thousand years. It's approximately 6,000 years since creation. Studies show theologians come and say that there are 300 plus generations since Adam. So when you step back and you evaluate this chain, and every generation is a link. There's 300 plus links in this chain that go all the way back from where we are today, all the way back to the beginning of time. You and I are part of this human link that is there, but not even more than just the human link, we're part of a faith link. That in the garden was a relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. 
And yes, they fell. And yes, in that link, that link was broken because of sin. But can I tell you, from the very beginning, there was a link of faith, a connection back to who we are and what God wants us to be. In 1967, Ronald Reagan Reagan delivered one of the most memorable lines in his career. He said this, freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men and women were free. I don't know about you, but I can look at our culture today and I see this statement that as Ronald Reagan was declaring this freedom, that it is not in our bloodlines. It's not in our bloodline. It has to be taught. It has to be protected. It has to be passed on. But can I go to something even more important than freedom? If you would replace the word freedom this morning with the word faith. Faith is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on to them to do the same. Today, when I talk about this link, when I talk about the links of faith, when I talk about this concept of faith, we, our responsibility is to be a solid link to the next generation. That our faith, that our belief in God, that our convictions, that we have to protect it, we have to defend it, we have to stand up for it, we have to fight for it. And I think that many times in our lives, we can get on the bandwagon of fight for freedom. Can I tell you the only freedom that we as Christians have today is freedom in Christ? You were blessed to be born in America, and you've been given this thing called freedom. But in reality, you are not free. You are owned by Jesus. The only freedom you have is this freedom in Jesus. The book of Judges, which follows one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, Joshua. I love the story of Joshua. If you haven't read the story of Joshua, I want you to read the story of Joshua. It's a powerful, powerful story. Joshua was a man of God who was chosen to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He displayed, displayed incredible strength and courage. He was this mighty man of God. He was the one that God showed up and said, be bold, be courageous. I'm going to go before you. And all these miracles began to take place. But in Judges chapter 2, I want you to look with me. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 and verse 10, it says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And of the elders who outlived him, who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who, ne- who, neither, who knew neither the Lord nor what, he, nor what he had done for Israel. I don't know about you, but this passage of Scripture just rips, rips me apart. I step back and I have to evaluate going, what, what, what happened? What happened? This generation that walked with God, this generation, think about it, this generation that saw miracles, the water part so they could walk across the river, the, the walls of Jericho tumbling down, the, the, the sun standing still, all these miracles that you see in the book of Joshua, what happened with this generation? What happened in the transference of truth and of faith? What happened to the link system? 
that was there? Were they so busy defeating foreign armies that they forgot to remind their children that it had been the Lord who had fought for them? Were they not purposeful about passing those stories on to their children? Did they not encourage their children to encounter God for themselves? Maybe after many hard years of war, the parents dropped their guard, complacently dwelling in cities that they did not develop. Reeling in the wealth of money that they did not earn. Eating the fruit of vineyards that they did not plant. And I ask you today, when we step back in our faith, we can look at this story and we can go, oh my word, they failed. But before we're too harsh on Joshua and his generation... We have to step back in reality and go, how am I? Where am I in this link? Where am I in the process of passing on the message of Jesus to the next generation or to the generations that are around me? We can come so harshly. You say, Pastor Kevin, I don't want to hear this message today. This makes me, you don't realize that I've tried. You don't realize this. You don't realize. Today I want to come, and I want to come with the reality of this passage of Scripture. I want us to come to terms with the, re- with the responsibility that you and I have. And it comes back to going, have I been distracted? I want to ask you, have you been distracted? Have we gotten our focus out of order and the mission of God pushed to the wayside as we've been so consumed with our earthly life? Throughout the Bible, we can see that God, that the generations were very, very important to God. Psalms chapter 145, 13 says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures. Everyone say endures. Endures through all generations. It doesn't matter what the problem is. It doesn't matter what the situations might be. It doesn't matter what the angle of a generation might be. It says that God's, God's dominion endures. Throughout Scripture, we are constantly reminded that nothing lasts forever, from Moses to Joshua, from Elijah to Elisha, from Paul to Timothy and to Titus, for even from Jesus to the Twelve. What we have to see here is that no one is indispensable in their role. No one. Our goal, our desire, our process is to realize that we are all interim leaders leading towards something that our role on this planet is not of little value. Hebrews chapter 11 is all about the generations of faith. By faith, this happened in one generation. By faith, this happened in another generation. By this happened in faith in another generation. And I ask you, where are you in the chapter of Hebrews 11? Is your life going to be one of those that they can come back and they can go, and Betty kept the faith in her generation. Phil kept the faith in his generation. Julie kept the faith in her generation. Lisa kept the faith in her generation. Is that not what we should be amped up for? As we walk out this book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 says this. It says, therefore, everyone say, therefore. Because of all these people, because of what they did, therefore, let us recognize that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. Say perseverance today. I want to ask you in your race, this is a personal race, a corporate race, but a personal race. Are you persevering in your race? Are you running for your generation? Are you persevering in making sure that this link, this chain is secure? 
I think all of us need to come to this place of realization to say that I'm in a race. Say that with me. I'm in a race. I'm in a race. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you in the race? It comes back to going, am I engaged in the race? Am I running this race? This race is a personal race of faith. It's running towards eternity. But can I tell you today that your race, even though it's personal, your race impacts everyone else. The runners in the Hebrews chapter 11, their race has impacted my life and impacted your life. What you are recipients of today is what they have run and what they have passed and them being this link in the chain. They kept the faith. In track and field, there's a relay race where there are four runners that run, whether it's the 100 or the 400, and they're running for a dedicated amount of time and there's someone that starts off with a baton and there's someone that passes it to the next and the next and the next and the final one has to carry it across the finish line. But can I tell you that every single one of those runners, even though the, the fourth one crosses the finish line, every single one of those runners win, win the race. It's dependent on all of them. It's dependent on their running. It's dependent on their passing of the baton. It's dependent on their receiving of the baton. It's it's dependent on them crossing the finish line. This race that we are in is a race that we must all run. I always had this misleading that when you drop the baton, it meant that you lost the race. But I want to show you a rule in the United States Association for Track and Field. It says, the baton shall be carried by hand throughout the race if dropped. Everyone say, if dropped. It shall be recovered by the athlete who dropped it. He or she may leave the assigned lane to achieve the baton, uh, provided no other runner is impeded and provided that by doing so, the distance to be covered is not lessened. If the passer and I fumble this exchange, I have to pick up the baton. If the receiver is the one that drops it, he has to pick up the baton. But can I tell you today that many times you and I come going, if the baton is, is dropped, we lose the race. We're automatically disqualified. Today, what I want to challenge you with is this concept. Some of you may be here in this room. Some of you may be listening in line and you're going, but I've dropped it. I've missed this opportunity. I've missed this window. But I, I don't have the same influence with my kids because they're now adults. I don't have the same influence with this generation because I'm this. Can I tell you today that you're not disqualified? You may have dropped the baton. You just need to bend over and pick it up again. You need to get, up, you need to get back in the race. You need to not sit back and feel sorry for yourself or be so self-condemned. You need to go, no, God, your grace. Isn't that so amazing about God's grace? That God and his grace, you, you fumbled. How many, how many fumbled this week? We've, we've, it's called sin. God's not expecting us to run a perfect race. He's running, expecting us to run a faithful race. The reality of all this is that we can't claim a win until we've passed the baton to the next generation. We can't claim a win until we pass that baton to the next runner. We can't claim a win until we finish and cross the finish line. 
Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, and we've seen this. It says, Paul, he says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. First, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, what you've heard, what you've heard me say, guard this good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Jude, we see it in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. He says, um, I urge you to contend. Everyone say contend. That word contend means to struggle, to fight, to defend, to fight for, for the faith that was once all entrusted to God's holy people. The reality is this, that you're all part of the race. You have been entrusted something. You've been given something. This word entrusted actually means to lay up in store for safekeeping. And then we come into this next section of Scripture where Paul comes after he says all these things. 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, Timothy, you've heard heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths, these truths that you've been entrusted with, these truths that have been safekeeping in your life, these truths that you have lived out, these truths that are there. Now it's your responsibility, not just to keep them in safekeeping, but to teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Today, when we talk about this concept of the link of our faith, we have a responsibility to receive the truths and to pass on the truths. If you're a parent here today, many of you are going, yeah, I try to do that with my kids. That's very, very vital. It's so important. But can I tell you today, more than just your children, more than just your family, we have a responsibility to the generations to be a link of faith. We have a responsibility as we walk and as we talk and as we live to the generations. Charles Swindoll says this in his, in his uh, commentary. He says, in this final intimate letter that Paul has written to, to Timothy, he says this. The basis of, uh, he, he gives him the essentials of faith, excuse me. He passionately exhorted Timothy to hold on tightly to the faith, to the sound teaching that Paul had entrusted him with. Paul knew that consistency and personal integrity, everyone say personal integrity, the personal integrity would be set, uh, significant and um, be a significant factor in the young pastor's effectiveness. Paul warned Timothy about associations with others, encouraging him to reflect on their years together as an example of an ethical consistency in the midst of difficulty. Paul made sure that whatever other counsel he gave to his, this pupil Timothy, that he would find beneath all of this rock this solid dependence on the Word of God. Today, when we talk about passing this faith, we're not just talking about passing a belief system. We're talking about passing the foundation of the Word of God to them, that they would be biblically literate. His teaching would stand only to the degree that it was based on Scripture. Can I tell you today that your faith will stand only to the degree that it's based upon Scripture? Your faith... It's not just an idea. It's not just a doctrine. It goes back to a theology of who God is in his word. Swindoll goes on to say in in, uh, 2 Timothy 3.17, Paul offered the central test for measuring whether the gospel torch had been successfully passed or not. The application of God's word in four distinct areas would ensure that the next generation would become complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He said in this passage of Scripture that there would be effective teaching would include doctrine, 
the basics, the basics, the truth of the faith, two, would be reproof or challenging and confronting each other with the Word of God. We're, we're confronted with the power of the Word. Number three, correction by providing guidance from the truths of Scripture. Number four, instruction in righteousness, which comes from the Word of God. We step back and we look at this faith that we're talking about. It's founded in God's Word. It's founded in Him. Paul is describing those who are qualified. How, first of all, he's saying, he's, how are you qualified? Is that, you're passing, that you've experienced it, that you're walking it, but you're looking to look to people that are qualified to receive it. Your responsibility is this link. Your responsibility is to pass it. Your responsibility is to connect the dots. What all of us need to realize is this, is that we are responsible to entrust There's something that we have that we need to give. There's something that we need to have that that we have that we need to be passing on for safekeeping. And it's not just to those that are below, it's those that are above, those that are across, and those that are below us. When we talk about this generations passing the baton to the next or to the generation, we oftentimes going, well, I've got to hand it to someone younger than me. But can I tell you today in this room, there are approximately five generations Maybe not in this room. I guess we have one upstairs. Five generations that are represented. Five of those generations out of the seven that are represented at Relevant Life Church. Can I tell you, for each of us to be the link, we're to link up, we're to link across, we're to link down. We're all here to learn and to grasp from one another, to gain from one another. Today, when we talk about this concept, I want to give you four things. How do we fight for the generation? How do we connect this faith link to the other generations? Number one, we have to model personal faith. Everyone say model. model. This word model is to display by wearing. This word model is to display by wearing. Today, we can look at fashion because people are coming in in their fashion and we're displaying something by what we wear. The world's fashion changes. It, it, it's, it, it's just constantly turning over. But can I tell you that God's fashion actually changes you? And we've got to come back to going, what am I modeling? Am I modeling what the world would say is important? Or am I actually letting God flow through my life to model what's going to actually change culture? To change lives. The reality is this, is we cannot pass what we do not possess. You can't pass faith if you don't possess faith. You, can't pos- you cannot pass confidence in the Word of God if you don't have confidence in the Word of God. You can't pass conviction if you don't have conviction. This faith that we're talking about must be modeled in our life. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Whatever happens, con- conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Conduct yourselves. When we talk about this idea of faith and we talk about this missing link that possibly could be there, or we look at the, 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 the Israelites in Judges and we can bring judgment against them, what I need to come back and ask you, what you need to ask yourself is going, am I conducting myself in a way to pass this chain link? Am I, am, am I conducting myself in a way that's worthy of? Paul told others to live as he lives. I ask you today, can you say that to people? Can you turn to people and say, love God like I love God? Love people like I love people. 
Serve in the church like I serve in the church. Give to the church like I give to the church. Paul is coming and he's going, I'm not anything. I'm not special. But he goes, my, my actions are going to match my words. When we talk about this concept of chaining, this, this link, we have to be able to come back and go, live as I live. In that process of living as I live, are you quick to repent? And do people see you quick to repent? Can I tell you, in our culture today, people are not looking for perfect people. They're not looking for perfect Christianity. They're looking for real Christianity. They're looking for broken people that can give them hope because they're broken. Faith has to be personally lived out. We have to model spiritual disciplines. Are you modeling Bible reading? Are you modeling prayer? Are you modeling fasting? Are you modeling uh, meditation? Are you modeling giving and serving? And I come back and again ask you, are you worth following in these areas? Can I tell you, as I evaluate my own life, I have to step back and go, Kevin, do, I want, do you want people to follow you in those areas? Can I tell you, I don't want people to follow me in how I drive and my attitudes. I don't want people to follow me as I'm picking up garbage from people that are out in our parking lot. Because my attitude is not reflective of Jesus. Don't, don't follow me. Follow me where I follow Christ. Don't follow me where I don't follow Christ. And can I tell you, that's all of us. We've got to come back and go, am I modeling these things? Do you model confession? Are you one who is transparent? Do you have integrity? Can I tell you that integrity doesn't mean you don't make mistakes? Integrity means that you fess up for those mistakes and fix those mistakes. We need to model working through hardship. One of the things that's blatant in our land today is that when it gets hard, we give up. When it gets hard, we quit. And when it gets hard, let's change. When, we get, when it gets hard, let's just move. Can I tell you, people are just, life's been hard, so let's just let's hop jobs. Let's go to a different state. Let's find easy. If you want to pass a solid face, faith, you, want, you have to endure hardship. You've got to model working through this, not avoiding hardship. Let people see you when you're wrestling through those difficult situations. Can I tell you how humbling that is? You watched us last year wrestling through cancer and chemo. Did we always glorify Jesus? No, we didn't. Did we sometimes glorify ourselves? Yes, we did. But can I tell you, we wrestled through hardship and we won in the process of. What we pass needs to be an everyday relationship with God. Can I tell you what the world is trying to pass? Is a once a week religion with God. We need to be modeling day in and day out. We need to evaluate our lives. Am I passing correctly? Am I being this link of faith? First Corinthians chapter two says this, and my speech and my preaching were not very, were not persuasive with the words of human wisdom, but, a dem- but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That, our, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Can I tell you what's wrong in America today? What's even wrong in my life as I pursue to preach sometimes? Is that sometimes I try to come up here and go, well, what human wisdom can I give you? Our planet is filled with human wisdom, and it's crashing and it's burning. The angle that we have to step into is going, God, am I giving your wisdom? Am I presenting your power? 
Am I revealing you? Number two, not only do we have to model faith, we have to show mutual honor. Everyone say show. Show mutual honor. Intergenerational relationships are a privilege. They're not a burden. Intergenerational relationships are a privilege. They are not a burden. Can I tell you in our culture today, from all aspects, they become a burden. And in the body of Christ, they need to be a privilege. To those who love Jesus, it's a privilege. When we look back at Hebrews 11, it was a privilege. And we need to step back into relationships that they're a privilege, that we're part of a culture of seven generations. And it's a privilege to be part of that. It's a privilege to be part of that. And how does that come out? It comes out to the place of mutual honor. Many of us want the blessings of a multi-generational lifestyle. But can I tell you that we, are, we hinder it by our pride? We hinder it by our arrogance? We hinder it by our ego? We hinder it by our stubbornness and our disrespect? You say, Pastor Kevin, it's about time someone preaches this. People need to recognize that my generation needs to be honored. And I want you to listen to this, that everyone in this room needs to come to a place of mutual honor. This message isn't to one generation, it's to all generations. It comes back to this place, it's it's a privilege. Say it's a privilege. This honor is respecting, not just being respected. Honor is listening, not just being listened to. Honor is caring, not just being cared about. Honor is investing, not just being invested into. Honor is understanding, not just being understood. Can I tell you that many times we come back and go, I just want to feel honored. Can I tell you every other generation wants to feel honored? So if you would go at it with the angle of going, I'm going to just give mutual honor. I'm going to seek to honor. I'm going to seek to understand. I'm going to listen. That's why Romans chapter 12, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. That means above your preferences, honor someone else's preferences. Above your way, honor someone else's way. Above your... Your, your desires honor someone else's desires. I love how the NLT puts it. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo. Everyone say outdo. Outdo yourselves in honoring one another. Maybe I like this because it sounds like a competition. Outdo. It's kind of like survivor, outwit, outdo, outplay. Can I tell you in our faith, in our honor, we need to outdo. We need to outwit. We need to outplay someone. We need to come back and go, no, I'm going to show honor. This word honor is, honor is valuing. You say, well, how do I value? Can I tell you that every generation needs to be appreciated? Every generation needs to be gleaned from. Every generation gives value to. Every generation needs to be encouraged. Everyone say encouraged. How many like encouragement? You come to church and you want encouraged? I ask you today, how many of you actually gave encouragement to someone today? How many came into this room or came into this building not seeking encouragement, but giving encouragement? Let's outdo with our honor. Let's outdo with our value. Honor is giving respect. 
Respect looks like this, that you admire someone else's gifts, even though they're different than yours. They may predate what your preference might be. They may not be what your mode may be, but can I come back and say that there's a place of respect where we admire the gifts and the talents? We admire the achievements of, admire the achievements of the generations that passed, but admire the achievements of the generations that are. Honor gives grace. Everyone say grace. grace. How many need some grace? Can I tell you what we fail in the generations oftentimes in this area of honor? Is we don't know how to give grace to one another. We don't, know how, we don't know how to give room for failure or differences of opinions. Can I tell you that it's not that their opinions are wrong, they're different. Can I tell you your opinions are different? I guarantee that if you and I sat at a table, that we would sit in dialogue and we would have differences. We would have differences. We had different philosophies. Is that wrong? No. Jesus is not looking for uniformity. He's looking for unity. God's looking for unity. He's not looking that everyone has to be a certain way. Give grace. This idea of grace, there's no room for judgment. Can I tell you, we're so quick to judge. I'm guilty of judging. I'm judging. I can judge the intents of somebody, the attitudes of somebody, the way someone drives. Anybody guilty of judging this last week? Judging a situation? Judging your spouse? Judging your children. Can I tell you, when we live in, an, in a culture of grace, we don't have room for judgment. Fighting for the next generation or fighting for the generations, we have to model our faith. We have to show mutual honor. But we have to live out our purpose. I love this word purpose. Everybody in this room needs to hear this word purpose this morning. I don't care what age you are. I don't care what stage of life you're in. Purpose, the reason for which something is done or created. The reason. The reason you are alive today is your purpose. Can I tell you this? If you're part of one of the, the younger generations or part of one of the older generations, your, generation, your, your purpose is not to fulfill their purpose. Your purpose is to fulfill your purpose for your generation can I tell you what's wrong in a culture today is that we step in, we go, I gotta be like, I gotta, if I wanna be cool, I have to do this, or I gotta be liked by. No, the reason that you're here is you have a purpose, and there's seven purposes, gener seven generations' purposes taking place on this planet right now. And if everyone tries to be one or uniform, uniformity in, there's something missing in the link. It has to come back to going, I am going to fulfill my purpose. Acts 13 says this. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, it wasn't just his lifespan. It was talking about his age group. This idea of generation was there. David, as he came, he served God's purpose in his own generation, and he fell asleep, and he was buried. Basically, he served his purpose, and he died. There is no greater, no greater accomplishment than being able to put on your tombstone. He served his purpose. He served God's purpose for his generation, and then he died. Yeah. I would say to you, get busy serving your purpose. Yeah. Quit trying to find, find identity in a culture that is confused. You come back and say, Pastor Kevin, what is my purpose? Your purpose is, number one, to love God. Yeah. 
Your purpose number two is to love people. Your purpose number three is to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, our purpose is not wrapped up in our jobs and what we get from this, from this world. The purpose is who we are in Jesus. It goes back to the link of faith. Not only do we have a responsibility to fulfill our purposes, but can I tell you this? You have a responsibility to help other people fulfill their purpose. Yes. Amen. Every generation, whether that's up or down or across, going, how, 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 do I, how do I get in their cheering section? How do I help them fulfill? How do I help them accomplish? For 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Can I tell you that in this room, the, the gift of God is in all of you? Amen. And it's your responsibility to fan it into flame. And sometimes it's my responsibility to fan it into flame. When we think about the three things of, of fire, you have to have, have to have heat, which an igniter. You have to have fuel and you have to have oxygen. Many times what happens in our lives and our, our flame begins to go out and all we have is an ember. Can I tell you what happens in a burning fire if you begin to remove sticks from that fire and put them off to the side? How many have ever done that before? That stick, that fire begins to dwindle and begins to go out. For your flame to burn, for your flame to be at its fullest, you've got to come together with other believers there's got to be this encouragement, this place of fanning into flame, of encouraging and calling it out in other people's lives. Not only is it calling out, but it's taking personal effort. You got to practice your gift. You got to utilize your gift. You got to serve. You got to give. You got to participate. Christianity is not a back burner relationship. Can I tell you that if you're a parent today and you want to guarantee that your kids receive this link of faith, they need to see you engaged in church. They need to see you living your life for Jesus. They need to see you reading the Bible. They need to see you on your knees praying. They need to see you serving. They need to see you connecting with people, not just becoming isolated, but relating to the greater body of Christ. Lastly, this morning... You have to impart truth. This word impart is to teach transferable life application principles. And Paul is talking about this concept of entrusting and imparting truth, imparting, imparting things. It's teaching things that are transferable. Again, I go back to the one that if you don't model faith, you can't transfer faith. If you haven't got a principle into your grasp, that it's simple and transferable, you haven't gotten it. We oftentimes can come to this end stage and we go, well, I don't have anything to impart. And I, you have to step back in your life and go, what do I know? What is part of me? What have I modeled? What am I modeling? How am I living? We've got to learn how do we impart? How do we transfer life application principles? I think in our culture today is there's attitude that no one's going to teach me anything. In the church, with five generations that are active, I've heard it in different forms, but going, I can't learn anything from that generation. <laughs> they're so old, they don't know what they're doing. Other generations that come back and go, I don't, I don't even know, I just feel disrespected by. 
Can I tell you today? There is so much knowledge in this room right now. There is so much knowledge in this culture right now. And if you're a part of the older generation, that knowledge has been given down from generations before us, but it's also been given up from the generation that is now. If you're part of the younger generation, can I tell you the reason where you're at today is not because of your accomplishments, it's because you're standing on the soldiers of someone else. Today, I can honestly step and go, no, we've done great things at Relevant Life Church, but the reason Relevant Life Church is where we are today since 1950 is because of the generation's faithfulness prior to me. Generations prior to you. The generations that had a vision and had a dream and people were willing to step on the shoulders of and go, no, let's give recognition and honor to those things. Psalms 145.4 says this, that one generation will commend your works to the next and they will declare your mighty acts. NLT says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. When we come back and we talk about imparting truths, are you imparting faith Faith experiences. Do your kids get to see when God does a miracle? Can I tell you, your kids can't see a miracle if you don't let them know that there's a problem. Wouldn't it be a novel idea not to put burden on your children, but to let them know that, no, finances are tight right now. Let's pray about this and let's see God work. We step into this 90-day giving challenge. Can I tell you, this is an opportunity for you to communicate faith to the generations by how you play it out. To go, I, I don't have this, but I'm going to do this. And you're doing it not for people to see, but you're doing it for the faith to be built. Your children need to see it. Can I tell you, some of you in this room, your parents need to see it. First Corinthians chapter 2, this is the burden that I feel. Paul says, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. This is the battle that we have as pastors, the battle that we have in imparting from the platform. Because we know that our words as humans are going to fall flat. But I do know this, I've got confidence in the word of God that it's going to do something. The Bible says that when it set out, sets out to do what, it, what he purposes it to do, it will accomplish. That the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So when we come back and go, God, I, we, we need you. It's not just human words, it's spirit-empowered words. Can I tell you that the generations need to be imparted to with spirit-empowered words? And whether that's an alpha generation speaking to the silent generation or the Gen Z generation speaking to the alpha generation, whatever generation it might be, can I tell you that we all can be spirit-empowered and impart truths? As I close this morning, this all-important concept, we have to make the exchange. We have to make a pass-off. Not meaning that you are replaced and that you are done. It's what we call discipleship. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Can I tell you that daily there needs to be handoff, handoffs, excuse me, in the process of. 
But not only is there a handoff, there has to be a grasping onto. In our culture today, we want to do a lot of handing off. And when I ask you today, where are you grasping hold of? The baton that's being passed to you, are you grabbing a hold of it? Whether it's young or old, are you grabbing hold of the baton? Are you grasping it? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, when we see the fight, the good fight of faith, he says, take hold of. Everyone say, take hold of. Fighting this fight of faith is not just a passive behavior. It's not just going, yeah, rah, rah, rah. No, there's ownership on you to go, no, I've got to take hold of this. I've got to grasp this. I've got to run with this. Psalms 100 verse 5, as I close with this passage of Scripture, says, For the Lord is good. Everyone say, He's good. His unfailing love continues forever, and His faithfulness continues to what? To each generation. As I see our staff, the spectrum of four generations that are represented on this platform throughout the year, when you see worship leaders up here, when you see preachers up here, you see a Larry, me, you see a Trenton, you see a Sasser, you see these generations, an alley. This church is not platforming one generation. Every week there's generations that are up here that are not just one generation. God's faithful to the generations. You have a purpose to play. I'm not done yet. God's not done with me yet. Can I tell you, God's not done with you yet either. It's not passing off and letting go of. It's passing off to give, but also grasping. It's this continual process of learning and growing. And how we do that is his faithfulness to every generation. God is good, and his faithfulness will last from generation to generation to generation. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Heavenly Father, across this room, across this room, would you do me a favor today? Would you reach one hand to heaven like you're grasping the baton from Jesus? And would you reach one hand out in front of you like you're going to pass it off? God, this is symbolic today of every person in this room's calling. God, as we walk with you, as we reach towards you, as we strive to know you, as we model this faith, God, we're reaching for the foundation of everything. It's the word that changes our lives. God, as we reach to you, you're pouring through to us. But God, we have a responsibility to not hold on to the baton, not to guard that baton and keep it to ourselves, not to put it in our back pocket, not to put it in our backpack. But God, our responsibility is to hand that baton off. And God, today we're a conduit. Would you say, God, I want to be a conduit. God, I want to be a conduit to the generations. God, I want to be faithful to the generations. God, I want to be faithful with this aspect of modeling faith, of honoring, of, of mutual honor. God, I want to be faithful. God, in every step, God, as we live our lives for you, God, that we are looking for ways to impart truths. One last step. Would you put your hands on your heart? 
God, today I know in this room that all of us have at one time struggled with valuing the generations. God, in this moment, we can see the need of, but God, sometimes our attitude has blocked our response to. Would you individually just fix, fix your inner attitudes? God, today we ask that you'd forgive us. God, where there has been devaluing, where there has been frustration, where there has been lack of understanding, lack of honor. God, would you forgive us? God, would you forgive us? God, today I pray that you would impart into us your heartbeat for the generations. God, implant in our lives your heartbeat for the generations the value of the generations, that you're the God of generations. You're the one who is, is, is causing the life, the faith to be passed. God, from the beginning of, of Genesis all the way through to the end of eternity, God, you are the one that we want to pass correctly. God, I thank you today. Thank you today for every person in this room. I thank you for the responses. I thank you for their hearts. God, make this a message that just permeates our lives. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Our prayer team is coming this morning to, lead, to pray over you. If you need a prayer request that you want someone just to uh, focus on you, this is the opportunity for them to focus on you. Would you encourage someone today? As you leave today, please, as you leave today, would you find someone that's not your generation and say, I value you? Would you do that today? Let's, let's make it a purpose. Let's, let's shift the culture. Let's shift the culture in our world. Let's shift the culture in Salem. Amen? Let's, let's do it today. Let's pay attention to someone else. Don't worry about yourself. Worry about them. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.